Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Um, the lazy summer of podcasts comes to a screeching halt. Yay! This As... is so nice. We have a format. <laughs> this is amazing. As we actually have a book that we're going to be talking about tonight. That's right. You heard it here first, or some bullshit that news people say. The Booked Podcast <laughs> is reviewing a book. <laughs> and that book is Secondhand Souls by the author Christopher Moore, who is the author of 15 novels, including the international bestsellers Lamb, A Dirty Job, and You Suck. His latest novel, Secondhand Souls, we'll be talking about tonight, was released just this month, just less than a week ago. Can I say that that's also a great... We don't talk about bios enough anymore. A great bio. That's everything you need to know about Christopher Moore. That's all. Wrote a bunch of shit. Here's a couple of the shits he wrote. Here's what the new shit is. Yeah. Now, this book is the follow-up to uh, A Dirty Job. It is the sequel to it A Dirty Job. Is How much did you remember about A Dirty Job? Like, did you have to do a bunch of discovery about what happened towards the end of that? Like, I... I mean, I remember broad strokes. I remember some of the things. As they popped yeah. up, I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Here is the... First of all, I'd like to say Christopher Moore might be one of the handful of authors that would have pulled us out of the Lazy Summer podcasting. Am I correct in saying that? Maybe five, six? Yeah, I'd give it five or six that we could mutually yeah. agree on, yeah. Well, that, that's it. That's exactly what it is. It's mutual agreement. There's probably a few on either side where one of us would be like, hey, what do you think? And the other would be like, no, no, no. I'm getting a fucking... I'm taking pictures of my feet at the beach. You know that thing? <laughs> the hot dogs or legs pictures or yes. just the feet? Yes. Okay. Yeah, whatever. Something like that. We're doing that and not reading anything. So um, I am going to read to you the synopsis for Secondhand Souls. Something really strange is happening in the city by the bay. People are dying, but their souls are not being collected. Someone or something is stealing them, and no one knows where they are going or why, but it has something to do with that big orange bridge. Death merchant Charlie Asher is just as flummoxed as everyone else. He's trapped in the body of a 14-inch tall meat puppet, waiting for his Buddhist nun girlfriend, Audrey, to find him a suitable new body to play host. To get to the bottom of this abomination, a motley crew of heroes will band together. The seven-foot-tall death merchant, Minty Fresh, retired policeman-turned-bookseller, Alphonse Rivera, the emperor of San Francisco and his dogs, Bummer and Lazarus, and Lily, the former goth girl. Now, if only they can get little Sophie to stop babbling about the coming battle for the very soul of humankind. Love it. Yes, yes. I um. So, as Rob mentioned, it's going to be a little tricky because I, I have some mixed feelings about reviewing this book um, based on the fact that it's a sequel. And I, I've been trying to... to <laughs> we started this podcast by reviewing a book that was the third book in a series. Is that correct? Oh shit! Yeah, three seconds by uh, yeah. those fucking two Swedish dudes or whatever. Right. So, and from time to time we do it, and I always go, "Ugh, is this of any interest to somebody who hasn't read the first one?" Um, and and we'll talk at least a little bit in my wrap up about how I feel this book would play to somebody who hasn't read it. Um, if you're a fan of Christopher Moore, though, you have read Dirty Job. You know, is an excellent book. So you know, I would think you'd want to embark on this journey, um, regardless of what we say. Yeah, for sure. Um, All right. Does it bear talking a little bit about what happened in Dirty Job? Um, yeah, I think. I think. I mean, yeah. yeah. Or is that going to come up naturally? You think? I'll just no. do a. Yep. I'll just do a little a brief summary. So, Dirty Job um, 
and this gets a little bit weird because like characters like Minty Fresh, who's mentioned in the synopsis already, has been in other books too, like Coyote Blue. So there's always Christopher Moore naturally kind of weaves characters in between books. But Dirty Job, the premise basically is that it takes place in San Francisco. Charlie Asher is the main character, and um, in the beginning of the book, his wife dies. So he's left uh, as a single parent um, raising a, a daughter who... Um, <laughs> It's discovered that when she points at something and says kitty, that thing dies. So she's a little bit kind of weird. Um, he becomes what's called a death merchant, which basically he, he runs kind of a secondhand shop. And um, he's, he's given this book that tells him that he, goes, he has to go around collecting the souls of people um, who die. And then um, helping those souls kind of move on to their next um, body... Um, by selling it to the right person who comes in the store, that kind of thing. That's the main setup. Am I pretty good on that? Yeah. And, of course, like any good book, all hell breaks loose. Including some demons. Yeah, the Morrigan, which is a group of three um, beastly spirit ladies, I guess is probably one way to put it. Um, And, and yeah, and and shit goes down. And what we have at the end of um, A Dirty Job is uh, Charlie Asher has now been put into the body of a meat puppet. Yeah, he dies. um, But his soul gets moved. His girlfriend moves his soul into this weird little creature that she made. Right. So we uh, we pick this up um, after a a little bit of period of time, a year, I think. Yeah, about a year. So a year and uh, not much has changed. We have uh, some new death merchants that had to take uh, take the place of others. We have Charlie, who is living with Audrey, his Buddhist nun girlfriend. Um, but he is now a knee-high kind of duck alligator <laughs> with <laughs> giant schlong. With a 10-inch penis. <laughs> yeah. Um, that he has to wrap around his waist because it gets in the way. Um, and everything is, is going okay until suddenly it isn't. And we learned this from um, the Book of the Dead. Um, it has changed uh, a little bit. So this is a book that's passed around through the death merchants. Can I go with my first quote? This is this is the type of thing that is very um, standard of of Christopher Moore. This is from you know all of one percent to the book. It is a a line. There's some rules for uh, being a death merchant. And this is rule number three. In order to hold off the forces of darkness, you will need a number two pencil and a calendar, preferably one without pictures of kitties on it. Keep it near you when you sleep. There you go. Yeah, this is this is how Christopher Moore handles the 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 forces of darkness. You can hold them off. One of the tools you'll need is a number two pencil and a calendar. <laughs> Good. Can you go to page twenty one in your book? So there is fucking a part where Charlie says "aw," and Bob says "aw," and it's "aw" a w e. Yeah. That's not the "aw," right? That like when you go "aw," that's not a w e. I oh I see it ah said Char- Charlie ah said Bob, but they're saying it because she lost a tooth the other day, so they're not saying it like they're in awe of something. Right, I've seen it. Now we might have to go to the internet for this because I've seen it both ways, and I actually use it both ways. Oh, see, I've seen it aw, and I always thought idiot. <sighs> All right, we're gonna go to the. Uh, we're going to the internet. We are going a- to the internet. Awe. Versus AWW. Well, that's going to be a good fight. Awe versus Awe. In awe of the confusion over these two. Ha ha ha. Fuck you, Patrick Phillips. 
Hang on. Anybody who names a website after himself. Patrick's Place. Regular doses of common sense. PatrickPhillips.com. Yeah. Who does that? Yeah. Not the booked podcast. (laughs) Well, but we're a podcast. That's the whole thing. It's not like RobOlson.com. I do own RobOlson.com. Where I go to talk about my books and my booze. This week's grammar post tackles awe versus awe. This is very much more of a visual thing. Um, one is a legitimate word, while the other is somewhat questionable, but they aren't interchangeable. Oh, so there's a definitive answer. Um, let's see. All right, stop with your fucking hyperbolic bullshit. Let's see. AWW. Um, and other similar examples with a bunch of extra W's are examples of onomatopoeia, a word described to emulate. Ooh, onomatopoeia. See the previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> emulate the sound it describes other uh, examples would include pop or bang or punch awe is the sound we make when we express sympathy or experience a heartwarming moment awe thank you so much blah 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 what about the AWE this guy's post sucks I'm in awe of how terrible. A-W-E refers to a sense of wonder or, or amazement or a sense of being mesmerized or fascinated by something. One is typically said to be in awe of something so impressive. All right, so he's on your side. Yeah, well, that's I was kind of word snobbing. How did this get through? How did this get through? Awe has a definition, and it's not like, oh, look how cute. Oh, man, I feel like I have to go to Bill Bryson on this one. Hang on. Is it, is it BillBryson.com? <laughs> no, it's the Bill Bryson's Dictionary of Troublesome Words, A Writer's Guide to Getting It Right. That's an actual book I have. Are you just fucking... I, I, I'm, I'm in awe, <laughs> A-W-E, of the fact that you actually have that book. Oh, it's not in there. Apparently it's not a troublesome word. Let's try the Bryson's uh, Dictionary for Writers. I'm prepared, man. Let's just see if Bill Bryson is. All I know is every time I see on Facebook, it's some ditzy chick saying A-W-E. <sighs> it's not in there either. Bill Bryson let me down twice. Once bitten. Wait, that's the wrong one. Fool me once. All right, never mind. Oh, <laughs> I got it wrong. All right, well, we're going to go with yours. All right. This is an excellent that's... start to the review. Yeah, I listen. I just wanted to word stop. Well, I don't. Here's the whole thing. Christopher Moore, very respected writer. Somebody published this book. Very respected press. How'd this get through? How Maybe did this he's fucking through? Patterson big, and people don't want to push him around about Oz and Oz. Nobody could find it in their Bill Bryson guide to onomatopoeias. <laughs> That's exactly it. Uh, all right. I do uh, like from that same chapter that uh, she. <laughs> The seven-year-old Sophie will just shout out, I am become death destroyer of worlds, which I think is pretty awesome. Sophie is adorable. So, yeah, we kick it off a year later. Um, We come to find that there's been a problem, that souls have not been collected the way they should have been over the course of the last year. And uh, basically impending doom. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. Bad shit's going to go down. Which is, at first I was worried because it was very similar to some of the stuff that happened in the previous book where Charlie decided not to collect souls and it was very heavily warned against like don't 
you know, you have to make sure you collect these souls, otherwise bad shit will happen in the underworld, and, you know, bad, you know, like, hell will rain on earth and all that stuff, and that's kind of how they got into trouble, um, like that, and letting people from the underworld get a hold of souls, it, like, gives them power on earth and stuff like that, so I was worried that this would be kind of, like, revisiting, uh, old territory, but um, thankfully it kind of went in a different direction. Yeah, this uh, this book um, focused a lot less on Charlie. At least I felt like it did, right? I mean, from mm-hmm. what I remember of Dirty Job, he was definitely the focal point of that book, and, and he was almost a side character in this. And it focused a lot more on, um, on Minty Fresh and on Lily um, and this kind of weird bridge story which I should probably go into a little bit. Um, the, the bridge is uh, the, the Golden Gate Bridge, yes? <laughs> right? Yeah? Yes, the Golden Gate Bridge. Right, you, most cool. people have heard of it. Yeah, it's the Golden Gate Bridge. It's over on the West Coast somewhere. <laughs> and um, like Christ. ghosts have been collecting on this bridge for a long time, and a lot of them are, are suicide victims, but it, it's starting to turn out to be that's not the case. And we're introduced to a character I believe is brand new, Right, not a crossover from something else. Mike? Mike is, I thought, brand new. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. He is a bridge worker who has um, developed, I guess, an ability to see these ghosts, which provides, in my opinion, for some of the, um, although less humorous, kind of more interesting parts of the story, as he, through him, we hear a few of the stories of these ghosts and um, perhaps why they're not able to move on, you know, to mm-hmm. whatever, whatever's after this. It was, um, here's the thing. Christopher Moore uh, likes to say that he writes the serious books and he writes the funny books. And, and this is definitely the part of the funny books, not the serious books that he writes. Even his serious books are, are not, I mean, they're still comedy and stuff like that but these are just kind of the goofy ones um but he really knows how to whip some reality into the stories in a in a way that's it's it's organic and it fits so yeah like uh, mike's mike's listening to these people tell their stories and it's one of them is um you know this woman in the 1700s who fell in love with a guy from russia and blah 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 another one is a guy who was uh, this fucking that baseball one man that baseball story was awesome. I don't know how you felt about it. I, I really enjoyed it, and I fucking hate baseball. That baseball but. player story was great, and I have a big quote from that. So, um, yeah, really, really serious moments um, sprinkled into the book in a way because you're dealing with death, and like, there's only so. I think he did a great job of of, of walking that line of there's only so long that you can joke about death before it kind of takes away the value of it. So, he put just enough of like a like a gravity uh, to some of these stories to make you realize, okay, so even though he's approaching this in a funny way, he understands and respects kind of this, the topic. I feel like that's kind of like the, the message I got from those stories. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, there were, there were some of my favorite parts of the book from a story standpoint. Yeah. I think I'll always love about Christopher Moore is the humor. And it's always going to come <laughs> yeah. first. That's always going to come first to me because it's so quick and so witty and it's not, um, it doesn't have to be, I mean, sometimes it's a little dirty, but it doesn't have to be. And it's still funny. Um, it, it's like, a. um, I'm 
trying to think. I was going to say it's it's kind of equated to like Bill Cosby humor, but lately Ooh, that's that's a too, bad thing to say. Too soon. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Too that late. type of that type of yeah, that type of humor where it doesn't have to be profane. Um, sometimes it's a little borderline, you know, as you'll probably hear from I'm guessing a vast majority of the quotes. <laughs> but yeah, and and I'll be honest, the story is is a little sprawling in that there's a million things going on. So I think it's going to be hard for us to really kind of talk linear story. At least for me, it was hard because it seemed like a very chaotic book. Am I am I wrong in my feeling? Um, well, here's the thing about Chris, Christopher Moore does, um, sometimes he'll write a story that's, it's got so much going on, um, and you know that you're enjoying all of it, but you really don't fucking have any idea where it's going. And it's not until this very abrupt kind of chunk of, of not exposition necessarily, but like a lot of explaining at the very end that it all kind of ties together and you're like, okay, I get it. Um. Uh, he does do a good job of dropping hints throughout, but they're hints that are subtle enough where, like, unless you're really stepping out of the humor and really focusing, you're not going to know until he tells you, um, which I think is fine. But, yeah, like, it felt like there was so much going on, and you knew it was all going to kind of... It's like watching a magic trick. You knew, oh, I know this is important, and I know that's going to... whatever. But it's not until that kind of reveal at the end that, you know, you really got it. And um, that was definitely how this book was. Yeah, I, I equate reading um, Christopher Moore, and, and I mean no disrespect by this at all, but it's a lot like how I feel about Robert Crace. I don't read him for the stories. I read him for the uh, character interaction. Sure. And it could be that they're you know trying to figure out where all the souls have gone, or it could be that they're all just sitting around a coffee table shooting the shit. And I would read the books the same way because I know that the dialogue and the character it's going to be funny, and the character interaction is going to be good. It could be be touching at parts. You know what I mean? So it, it doesn't matter. The story for me comes very, very secondary when it comes to um, writers like Christopher Moore and Robert Crace, and I could probably come up with a couple others if I thought about it long enough. Where I, I don't, I don't care what the story is. Yeah, I, I still expect I will be thoroughly entertained by just dialogue and interaction. Yeah. So, I mean, to kind of sum up the story, so again, dirty job you know, hell kind of breaks loose on earth and he's, you know, Charlie dies to, to fix everything. And at the end of the book, his daughter is revealed to be the Luminatus, I think it's called, which is like the big death, like mm -hmm. death, death right, itself. Yeah. Um, in this book, uh, basically in the aftermath in the year following dirty job, um, where in Dirty Job, a lot of the death merchants died and everything, and things are kind of out of whack. Um, souls are kind of piling up, and things are kind of getting creepy and weird, and there's rumblings that there's, like, a big bad person coming to just take shit over. But, like, no one knows what to do about it, and, um, like, all this weird stuff's going on, so... They're trying and to then you're introduced to this ghost element, which is new. <laughs> yeah. I, remember, I don't believe there was any of that in Dirty Job, but um, can we talk about the new, the new, the new bad guy? <laughs> yes. We, in the synopsis, the name Minty Fresh came up. And Minty is a, you know, seven foot tall African American man who dresses in mint green clothes and he's a death merchant who operates out of a um, a record shop, like a like an old record slash CD music store. Mm 
Um, and, and he's very much, at least I picture him like the, like, like from the seventies black exploitation films, right? Yep. Like, like yeah. a shaft type, uh, a character and he's fucking awesome. Right. Minty fresh is the best. Maybe because we're introduced <laughs> to this new counterpart. <laughs> Lemon fresh, <laughs> which the only thing better than having one really flamboyant, um, you know, yet very masculine <laughs> African American character in a book is introducing a second one. <laughs> yeah, that was a masterful stroke, if you ask me. So, yeah, so um, Lemon Fresh is introduced. <laughs> and it, Rob's right. Minty Fresh should be your favorite character, but there's a good chance you're going to like Lemon Fresh even better. <laughs> so. I, I think that like half of my quotes are from Lemon Fresh. Yeah. Um, and I'll just hit you with the first one. Um, he, in his in his d- dark doings, uh, hooks up with the Morrigan. So again, it's those three uh, demony women from the the Dirty Job book, and they're trying to kind of heal and come back to their their full power so that they can uh, manifest and exist on Earth. So they're kind of dependent on him to get them around and to help them out and everything like that. And um, at one point, they're. He's driving uh, somewhere. He's trying to lure... Um, Sophie had two hellhounds that protected her, and he's trying to lure them away from San Francisco so they won't get in, get in the uh, get in the way of his plans. And so they're out in the middle of, like, the desert or something like that, um, trying to keep these, you know, get these dogs out of the picture. And um, the Morrigan can't have sunlight directly touch them, so they're in the trunk and they're just being complaining and everything like that. Um, and he decides he, he just to, to kind of pacify them. He says he's gonna he kind of jokingly, in a way that like makes fun of their their uh, their compromised position, was talking about how he's gonna make the trunk a little more comfortable. And um, he mentioned he's gonna get them like you know blankets. And then he says at the end he says something about cushions. And then the next line is my quote: "Through many centuries and many incarnations, he had learned one universal truth: bitches love them some cushions." I almost want to use your lead up to that quote as as my wrap up for this book. Not that we're there yet, <laughs> but I, I'm going to tell you what I heard, or what listeners probably heard in your setup, that this is the type of book where there's a seven foot tall black man named Lemon Fresh who dresses entirely in yellow and he's driving around with the Morrigan, these supernatural creatures in his trunk because they can't be seen by sunlight and they're running from some big ass dogs that used to protect this other girl. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, that is my summation. That should have been that should have been the synopsis for this book. It gets really weird. And as crazy as it sounds when you hear that, it, it it's it, it's truly pulled off in a pretty amazing way. It works so simply. Yep. We didn't uh, even mention the squirrel people or fucking wiggly Charlie. <laughs> Wiggly Charlie. All right, so I think I think I think we both need to take a step back from what we said about Minty Fresh and Lemon Fresh being our favorite characters. Without question, Wiggly Charlie. So we'll give you a quick, <laughs> and and I feel like now I feel like it's literally just me and you sitting around talking about this book. Like we don't even give a shit if anybody gets an idea of scope anymore. Now we're like, you know what I love? I love this part. Um, Wiggly <laughs> Charlie, at some point, 
Charlie Asher um, is able to leave his 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 um, reptilian people reptilian yeah so squirrel people are a variety of souls that Audrey has saved by taking dead or dying people's souls and putting them into these creations which are really kind of hacked together um, what are they called like uh, um, taxidermied taxidermied yeah type animals so you all these you know squir- squirrel people is kind of the generic name but some squirrels some of them are squirrel bodies with cat heads frogs some of them yeah are made up of partially made up of ham um so there's <laughs> this this really weird and they all wear little costumes that she's made for them <laughs> but um charlie asher is able to get out of his squirrel person body um but a little bit of him is left behind <laughs> and it's really it really i don't know how to say this it's endearing <laughs> It's endearing, but it's almost like you have a, 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 a like a like a, a a mentally challenged Charlie Asher left behind in this body <laughs> that really only kind of repeats things it hears and is is just kind of really silly and stupid. But it's so endearing, and and, and yeah, I think we could probably agree the best character in the book, Wiggly Charlie. Wiggly, <laughs> Wiggly Charlie's the best because like essentially he's just happy. Mm-hmm. He's happy. He's like a dog. But he's a dog that's got some sort of psychic link to Charlie. Because, like, when something happens with Charlie, Wiggly Charlie gets a little bit of that, you know, a little feeling of that, too. So, it's kind of, it's got some potential for some good humor. But, um, yeah, so Wiggly Charlie. Uh, and, and it's funny, because when, when they kind of realize that um, Wiggly Charlie, who, once Charlie left the body of this little squirrel person, it should have just ceased having any kind of autonomy but wiggly charlie <laughs> i just love saying wiggly charlie too um wiggly charlie continued to just gonna you know, go on and uh like hang out and stuff and so charlie almost kind of took him on as a pet and um he goes to at one point he wants to feed wiggly charlie and he finds some cheese sticks in the fridge or whatever and he feeds him a cheese stick and he has to like coach him on how to use the tongue because wiggly charlie didn't know how to eat properly um, but having been in that body, Charlie knows how to do it. So he coaches him and like, it, it's almost like this cute, like he's kind of taking himself as a pet. Um, but then after the cheese stick, the, the best line in the book is born. Need a cheese. Need a cheese. Need Anytime a cheese. Wiggly Charlie wants to eat, he just says, need a cheese. Part of the, the simplicity and beauty, I think of Christopher Moore's work is summed up in the Wiggly Charlie character <laughs> in that, First of all, there was no reason for there to be any kind of, of um, a- animation left behind, right? Nothing. Other than the fact, he's like, I think I've got a really funny character. And I don't have to fucking explain why he's still walking around. <laughs> or he was like, I don't want to get rid of the alligator with the 10-inch penis. Exactly. So, But the very repetitive Nita cheese, which you can't help but smile every time you read it, is perfect in that we talked about Minty Fresh, who is a caricature. And Lemon Fresh is a caricature. And then when you really get to like Lily, she's like the caricature of the goth chick. Or at least she was. She's matured a little in this book. But Mm -hmm. um, Abby Normal, who makes an appearance from the Blood Sucking Fiends series, whatever you want to call (laughs) that. I forgot about that scene. I'm having a heart attack. Yeah. So, you know, but they're all kind of caricatures of people, which is really simple, right? So we've stereotyped a bunch of people and we write about it. It's fucking brilliant. And and part of the, the appeal of it is that their their quirks or their habits are very repetitive. Yep. And the more they do something, the funnier it gets. 
proving David James Keaton's theory. If you do it once, why not do it twice? Exactly. I don't know that that's a theory, but yes, that's yes, exactly. And like I said, it's it's simple, right? Yeah. It's not new, but more delivers it in a way that it's really fucking entertaining every time it happens. It is. And I mean, I don't want to beat this like story to death, but like the whole the fucking squirrel people, man. Um they're such simple creatures. Uh, except for one who gets all mad that he got trapped into a squirrel person body because um, they're human souls inside of these things. And so he hatches this plan to abduct Audrey, the Buddhist nun, and put her into a squirrel person body so that she can know what it feels like to be trapped in this horrible monstro- monstrosity of a, of a, of a, of a body. And everybody just goes along with it because they're just dumb and they don't know, they just don't know, they don't have anything else to do. They're little squirrel people. So, um, but it's so funny because like when they start chanting, all the chanting, right? It was fucking hilarious. Absolutely. There's this, like the whole abduction scene is just completely, his rage and anger is undermined by the fact that anytime anybody says something, the squirrel people then start chanting that thing, no matter what it is. So the guy who was given the name Bob when he became a squirrel person, decides that he remembers in his normal life that his name was Thebe. <laughs> and so he tells, I think he tells Wiggly Charlie, right? That his name is Thebe. Yes. And Wiggly Charlie says Steve, and then all the squirrel people start chanting, Steve, 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 and he's like, no, it's Thebe. And they're like, Steve, Steve. Oh. Yeah. And this goes on for like a whole chapter. And it's the most ridiculous sounding thing ever. So here's how you sound like a madman, right? And yeah. that's what people are hearing. Like, what the fuck is wrong with him? None of this is funny. It's goddamn hysterical when you're reading it. And that's you're, the yeah. beauty. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that that's, that was probably more than we needed to go into it. But, like, it just illustrates that, like, every dumb fucking moment in the book is still super entertaining. It is. I don't think we're going to talk very much more about story, right? I mean, from a story standpoint, it's chaos. It's absolute chaos. We need, uh, <laughs> I think it's one of my quotes, but we need the pins and the, and the string. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to fucking choose that. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, to, to do this. So I think I think it's time to just go into quotes, right? Well, I got one thing I want to say. Sure. Because um, I have a note. This isn't necessarily a quote, but so can we go back to the, or do you want to go to the funny thing? You want me to do the serious thing? You can do whichever thing you want, buddy. Let me do the serious thing really quick. So, um, even though there is such humor, and we will get a lot more of it before we're done with this review, um, he does these great fucking serious moments. We were talking before about the um, the stories told to Mike Sullivan as being some of the serious moments. But um, at one point, um, Alphonse, uh, fuck, what's his name, Rivera? Mm-hmm. I think so. Why am I drawing a blank on that? Yeah, at one point, Alphonse Rivera, who we, he's the he's the bookseller. He used to be a policeman. Um, his partner from when he was a policeman uh, dies uh, in part of this whole story. So there's a, a policeman's funeral for um, Caputo was the name of the uh, um, his partner, and he had the, his partner Caputo was gay and um, gay living in San Francisco. Um, if you remember the '80s. <laughs> That's when, like, the whole AIDS thing happened. It was mm-hmm. devastating to the gay community. And so they're at this funeral, and um, it's that awkward. They have, like, this awkward conversation between 
Rivera and Caputo's um, uh, husband, I guess, mm-hmm. widower. widower. Yeah, I guess it would be widower. Yeah. And is that awkward? I don't know how to talk at a funeral thing. And the partner, the surviving partner says, Inspector, I'm gay, I'm 50, and I've lived in the Castro for 32 years. I buried half a generation of friends and lovers before the cocktail. The cocktail being, you know, like a a medical prevention of HIV and stuff like that. HIV and AIDS. Yes. Um, Having worked for a gay newspaper and learning a lot about gay history... That is so authentic, and, and it just hits home so much because how terrible do you feel for a person who is good at funerals, right? So Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that was – and again, there, there are very few heavy moments, but yeah, that was certainly one of them. That was one where I almost teared up. So I didn't want to bring it to that real place, but like I have to give more credit because – and I don't know if everybody would really catch like the overall gravity of it, but like, yeah, that was – that was a really strong moment and very authentic. Um, yeah. Quotes? I'm have to agree. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's do quotes. Start it out with your pins. Um, I have a lot of them that are literally just like one word, like one sentence, not even quotes so much as thoughts. Okay. Um, I do want to start because you mentioned um, uh, Rivera. Uh, our early introduction in this book to Rivera, he was he was a not as central a character in the first book, but he was important. It's Rivera talking to the two dogs, um, or to one of the dogs that belonged to the to, what's he called the uh, the emperor, the emperor of San Francisco. Yeah, so he's uh, he's talking to the, the the emperor of San Francisco, and his two dogs have walked into Rivera's bookstore. I don't have anything for you," said Rivera, feeling as if he should have somehow known as if he should have somehow known to have treats handy. You guys aren't even supposed to be in here. No dogs allowed. He pointed to the sign on the door, which not only was facing the street, but was in a language Bummer <laughs> did not read, which was all of them. Lazarus, who was seated behind his companion, <laughs> panting peacefully, looked away so as not to compound Rivera's embarrassment. <laughs> Man, that's like the whole book. Yeah. And that was like, that's like page five, maybe. Like, it was just brilliant right from the beginning. Here's one uh, from Lemon Fresh, who apparently is one of my favorite. Lemon goes to Minty's uh, <laughs> music store. See, Chris Moore knows. He's sitting at home thinking, I'm making someone right now talk about Minty Fresh and Lemon Fresh in a mm-hmm. serious way. That's what he's thinking yep. at home. Um, so Lemon goes to Minty's record store to find uh, the soul vessels that, as a death merchant, uh, Minty would be collecting. Uh, Minty's not there. So Lemon gets to meet Evan, who is like just like a clerk in the store. And Evan's kind of like this hipster douchebag. And Lemon kind of loses his shit on him, and this is the quote. You ain't shit, Evan, and you ain't never going to be shit until you show some passion for something. Y'all got to love something. Y'all got to hate something. Y'all got to want something. Pissing on other people's passion because you're trying to be cool just make you look like a coward, a little bitch. Rob is going. Every quote Rob has has the word bitch or bitches in it. I'm bitches. just going to warn everybody right now. Loves those. Yeah, Lemon Fresh is, is an excellent character. Uh, this is, like I said, a really a really quick... I'm not even going to put this in quote forms. Uh, it, it's um, They refer to Tai Chi as um, karate for the slow. <laughs> I forgot about that. It's brilliant. Goddamn <laughs> brilliant. 
Um, the next one I have is uh, again it, more of a concept. Um, the, Lily is working as a suicide hotline operator, <laughs> which for anybody that's come across her in any of the other books, I believe she also crossed over into blood sucking fiends a little bit. We'll find this a little difficult or hilarious, which is really what it is. But the um, the the first time that she talks to Mike, who's the bridge painter, is Mike calls them because there's a jumper and the jumper doesn't have a phone. So Mike calls the suicide hotline trying to to get the jumper to talk to someone in the hotline and that someone is Lily. So what's happening is there's a conversation where Lily is telling Mike, tell this guy this, tell this guy that. And at one point, her, her tactic is tell him if he comes down, we can get together, chat about his problems, and I'll give him a blowjob. So then there's this whole conversation. Mike's like, really? And she's like, yeah, you just tell him anything to get him off the bridge. I'm not saying it's actually going to happen, but just tell him that. Like, that might get him off the bridge. And, like, the jumper at one point's like, really? Like, may, and he, like, considers <laughs> the, the Power blowjobs, man. I thought, yeah. And then there's this one. I'm going to go through one more because I have, like, 30. Jesus, man. Yeah. This is kind of interesting. I actually had to look this up, and, and it is not a thing. He may have invented a thing. There is a line that says, A great regret of ghosts lingered on the Golden Gate Bridge. And I actually had to look up if a regret of ghosts was what you call a group of ghosts, like a school of fish or a murder of crows. or. Um, I, I thought, I didn't look, but I was like, I wonder if that's a thing. So yeah, uh, It is I, not a thing, but it should be a thing it will now. Be now. It, should, yeah. it should be completely credited him because it's brilliant. Uh, the, well, and then Paul Tremblay will have to change the name of his book to A Regret of Ghosts. Yes. Yes. I don't think he's going to change the name of that blockbuster. A Head with a Regret of Ghosts. I don't know. Um, there's a <laughs> another thing that happens in the book. There's a banshee that shows up, and you think that the banshee's evil, but is actually helping people. And at the uh, funeral that we talked about a minute ago, uh, she sang... And it kind of put everybody, gave everybody kind of a sense of closure. Um, and this was, I just thought this fucking quote was great. Um, but I'm not a cop, so I don't know if it's accurate. She sang Danny Boy and the Minstrel Boy in, Celt in a Celtic dialect. Because even though Cavuto had been Italian, all cops are Irish in death. And that sounded kind of like prideful and stuff. I don't know. I just thought it was cool. It's prideful if you're Irish. Those Italians are like fucking pretty much. I've seen that in movies though a lot. That 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 type of um, mentality it's towards like fallen. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was just a great part where Sophie is talking to. Um, I think she's talking to Lemon Fresh. Yeah, and she's she says that all the nuns at her school are all anti semites. <laughs> Which are just great because she's seven, <laughs> and and I don't have a lot of her quotes down, but she is definitely a very quotable character in this. Oh no, you know what? And my next one is from her. She has the names for her My Little Ponies, um, and uh, she says their names are Death, Disease, War, and S Sparkle, Darkle, Glitter Tits. <laughs> They're the four little ponies of the apocalypse. <laughs> I'm glad you captured that one because I loved it, but I didn't. I didn't do anything about it. Oh, so much good stuff in this book. Sophie's great. Um, Minty's arguing uh, with Audrey. It's her name, Audrey, right? Mm -hmm. About who knows more about death, and uh, this is his argument that she knows more. You did a ritual that moved Charlie's consciousness out of a monster that you made from deli meat into that dude over there, 
who you more or less talked into jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge so you could do it. A little bit of a spoiler in there, but nothing that's like going to ruin the book. Nope. No, nothing's going to ruin this book. We and, talk about the ending first. <laughs> nothing's going to ruin this. And I'll throw this one out uh, right after it because it's fucking hilarious. Uh, that hand job in the alley was completely against my will, Charlie said. That's from yeah, a, that a reference to the a, first book. Yeah, that comes up a couple times and it's hilarious <laughs> in all its iterations. <laughs> um, again, this is just like a phrase. I mean, I guess I got to set it up a little bit. Lily and Minty Fresh used to date and she's listening to a voicemail from him. And then um, she listened. But as soon as she heard the words motherfucking forces of darkness and whatnot, she cut off the message with a punch of the callback button. Motherfucking forces of darkness and whatnot. <laughs> That's good stuff. It is. I only um, have one really long quote, so if you want to do a couple. You know what? I've only got like four more I'm going to do. So, yeah, I guess I should probably do a whole <laughs> Um, This is Lily, um, who, again, has grown a little bit out of her um, goth girl phase. Uh, the sight of the sign leaning in the corner and the idea that she'd let the mint one talk her into that name made her want to start cutting herself again. Something she'd indulged in briefly when she was 15, but it quickly stopped because it hurt. That's good. I remember that that's one, too. Excellent. It, just stuff like this. Lily, um, she says, that's what I'm saying. How do you win a relationship like that? And someone has to, says back to her, I don't think you're supposed to win a relationship, Lily. <laughs> Like that's her concept is that she has to be the winner, even in a relationship. I've been uh, all my relationships. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> this this one, I'm not on even that. sure it makes any sense. And it, it's in parentheses. They're describing um, uh, one of the squirrel people. It was the head of a possum, but the O is silent, as often happens with the decapitated. Yeah, that was good. Brilliant. It was a good little moment. Yep. I didn't really understand what it meant either, but And then I, I made I alluded to this, so I'm gonna have to um I'm gonna have to read it. Does anyone have any push pins in their car? I just think <laughs> I could get a better handle on all of this if maybe we had push pins and some red string. <laughs> just, which is in every detective show ever. And I never understand how that works, but it does seem to solve some crimes, and I think that Charlie was on to the right thing. That's what this podcast needs. <sighs> Fucking big time. All right, I'm going to hit you with my big quote. Mm-hmm. This is from the baseball story. So Mike Sullivan's talking to a ghost on the Golden Gate Bridge. And uh, basically the idea is the ghosts feel like that the, what they have to do is tell him their story, and that's going to somehow help them not be ghosts anymore. Um, this particular ghost tells a story that's not super useful. <laughs> but um, it was a great story, and I like this one part of it. This is like 10 pages of the book. Um, so this is just a quote from part of it, <clears throat> and I'm not really going to set it up. It's just kind of, it's good on its own. And the picture throws me a hanging curve that moves like a balloon. Time slows down. Villarreal is a mosquito buzzing in another city. And I let go on that son of a bitch, whole body swing, toes to hips to fingertips. And it has that clack stick sound of, an, of a homer. I can feel it and the crowd can hear it and they're on their feet. It's going to be a line drive homer, not high, just a rocket off the field. Except before, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Except before it gets off the infield, there's an explosion of feathers, a literal explosion. I'm not even out of the batter's box, and the circular snowstorm of feathers appears right over the second baseman's head. And this bird drops, crushed and limp, and the ball drops, plop. 
and the second baseman shakes his head like he's got water in his ears because he was following the ball to go out like the rest of us, but now it's sitting at his feet, and he picks it up and throws me out at first. We go on to win, but my first big league at bat, I kill a bird, and not a seagull or a pigeon, oh no, my line drive killed a friggin' goonie bird, an albatross, like a five-foot wingspan. I basically knocked a turkey out of the sky with my first big hit in the bigs. So I was saying, some of those stories were, were great, and it was interesting how he managed to capture very distinct different voices in each of the ghost stories. Um, <laughs> it was one but yeah, I fucking did a great job at that. You did. I, I didn't want to point it out, because it would be pointing <laughs> out that you typically don't, so I didn't want to say anything. But no, you did, you did do a very, very good delivery on that. There was a lot of book theater material in here that we could have done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, we could have. You know what? I'm I'm not even gonna I'm not gonna do anymore. I think that we're that's a good place to end on. Um, <laughs> never mind. I've got one more because we were talking about fucking Wiggly Charlie. <laughs> need a cheese. Yeah, need a cheese. So this is Rivera, um, who who figures out that there's there's some bad shit has gone on at the Buddha Center. <laughs> and the thing is, here's. So he goes, uh, he couldn't really have a uniform unit run by the Buddha Center to check on her. He was pretty sure there wasn't even a radio code for cheese monster in distress, <laughs> which is referring to somebody had said, yeah, I saw the cheese monster. Because it's just, and you don't even see this, even it's Wiggly Charlie running around. And you know he's just saying, need a cheese, need a cheese, need a cheese. Like, all freaked out. I love it. Oh, that's excellent stuff. Um, you wanna you wanna lead with the the wrap up on this one? I will. Um, I have read every novel that uh, Christopher Moore has written, and I've enjoyed every novel that Christopher Moore has written. Livius will fight me on that because he doesn't think that Fluke was a good book, but I think he needs to go back. <sighs> that being said, um, I, I pretty much I, I don't even really think expectation comes into it with Christopher Moore. I don't think that I'm like expecting the world but I know I won't be disappointed. Um, so I usually enjoy the books. This one, I will say, probably falls kind of high to mid if I had to rank the books, if I had to like force rank them. It wouldn't be like a top book. It would definitely not be one of the bottom books. It's just kind of this nice, comfortable mid midsection. Midsection? That sounds weird. Like a midriff? It, it, it's just an entertaining story. It's got um, so much humor and, and, and just... absurd moments but it does have those um bits of gravity here and there that just kind of really do um keep it grounded and overall like we said this before the story is just like this just non-stop chaos for the majority of the book that really kind of tightens down into a, a more or less tidy ending um with an ending that i think that we can all be pretty satisfied with it's all in the characters. It's it's in those little fucking Wiggly Charlie moments and referring to hand jobs that happen in other books and, and stuff like that. But also in those serious moments like the Banshee sings at a cop's funeral and makes everybody feel okay about everything. So it's those moments that all kind of pile together that I think make Christopher Moore an incredible author because he could write pretty much anything I bet you, like, we could improv to him, like, oh, this chapter has to all be about, they go to a strip club and they get in a fight with zombies. And somehow, like, that would work in his book. He just has a talent for making pretty much any absurd thing palatable. Um, 
and, and entertaining. Beyond Palatable is actually entertaining. Um, so I thought the book was really good, and um, I could talk about it all day. A little fucking weird moments, need a cheese and all that. So, um, wow, I can't remember the last time we had to rate a book. Oh, it was gray. <laughs> I'm easier, gonna, easier to throw out a bunch of stars this time, I think. Yeah, I'm gonna just pile some stars on this boy. Um, I, I'm gonna give it four stars. I thought it was a really good book. Yeah, um, my word of warning on this is that it's a really, really sprawling story, and um, I wouldn't recommend reading this without doing dirty job first because it does give you a frame of reference as to who some of these people are. And even though it's been a number of years, I don't know when Dirty Job came out. It was before we were doing this podcast. Uh, you know, as I was reading through, I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that." Oh, the Morgan, yeah, I remember those those three crazy bitches. Like you get it after a while, even with hundreds and hundreds of books read in between. Um, I would not recommend. It's too sprawling for somebody to pick this up as their first book. That being said, let me give you my actual review of this book. Um, yeah, I agree with everything Rob said. And so I'm not going to drag this out really long. All I can say is it's been a really long time since I've smiled this much while reading a book. And that's what I think you get from Christopher Moore is the 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 really sharp wit, the the tongue in cheek dialogue, the 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 borderline exploitation of people. I think, you know, there was probably some pretty racist stuff in there regarding um, lemon fresh and minty fresh. And you know, fucking hilarious. (laughs) Wiggly Charlie, let's face it, is, is retarded. And hilarious, <laughs> right? So you get this a lot through the book, and, and there's a lot of stereotyping, and there's whatever, but it's done in such a non, um, non harmful way that that at, at least I can't help but fucking adore it. So um, I, I've never been. God, Lamb is my favorite book, and we've talked about this. I probably had nauseum. Um, Lamb was probably the last Christopher Moore <laughs> book I gave a shit about the story. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it was the it was it was a retelling of something else, right? Um, but I've always loved the dialogue and I love the characters and and I think um, I, I don't know if four stars is the right I think like four point like two five stars. Um, it, You're just fucking with my spreadsheet now. Uh, all right, four. If I do four and a half, will that will that work? Your no, I'll do your four point two five. That's fine. Four point two five stars on this one. I, I I really enjoy. I mean, I'm trying to think of like what would have made it better, and it would be like a great story. But like a great story would almost take away from what I really love about this. So I don't know. Do we have anything else to talk about? Um. Well, I don't know. We're trying something new, right? So, yeah. in case you missed it, in case the last thing you heard me talking about was the Hugo Awards. <laughs> <laughs> Go back an episode. This is episode number two for this particular week, the week of September 1st. It's probably when you're listening yeah. to this, right around there. Um, there's another episode. Um, the Lazy Summer of Podcasts. Well, I take that back. Hold on. For the next few weeks, there will not be two episodes. We're playing with the idea of doing two episodes. We've really enjoyed the Lazy Summer of Podcasting. We've gotten some really great feedback on episodes where maybe we touch on books or book-related things but don't review a book. Um, we've always had favorable feedback on interludes. So we're considering breaking interludes uh, away from reviews so that in some weeks, and I'm guessing in the majority of weeks, there will be two episodes. Um, now that I say that, I remember that we've still probably got like three or four weeks before we review another book. So the next <laughs> few weeks, we'll only have one episode. It will only be a lazy summer of podcasting episode. But this week, you got two. You got a bonus. And when we go back to reviewing books, their chances are high that most weeks will have uh, additional content. 
Yeah, I like the idea. We've we've we actually it's something that people have suggested for a long time, but we've just completely ignored them. So, because um, we do with any type of contact we have with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to review this book? We're totally not going to even acknowledge that you sent us anything. <laughs> the moment we send someone an email, though, if they don't reply in like an hour, Livius is just like completely done with them. I sent an email them. to somebody exactly an hour, <laughs> hour and a half, and I keep hitting. <laughs> Refresh, <laughs> Gmail. Oh, you gotta be kidding me! Are you? Serious? I know it took over two weeks for me to respond to this, but come on, man, it's been. <laughs> it's been like an hour. The nice thing is, you just know that you're a hypocrite. <laughs> oh, I know, so. I know, I am. No, that's yeah. See, that's the whole thing. I am aware of my flaws. <laughs> I, I had, I had my place of employment. Um, we have a, a loose partnership with a chiropractic like national branded chiropractic clinic where they come into into my place of business and offer free um analysis on your spine or whatever right so i'm talking to the lady who's trying to convince me um first of all i said you know i I think my spine's already doing better because just because there's an expert nearby i feel like i'm standing up straighter (laughs) because you know that she judges everybody that walks past her right so it boiled down to I was like, listen, I know I have terrible posture. You know what? I have a lot of bad habits I don't do anything about. I don't know that this is the one I'm going to start with. Like, this is the conversation <laughs> I'm having with this person who's telling me about all the health benefits of me going and getting my spine aligned or whatever, you know, and giving me all these great reasons. I'm sure a lot of it's really scientific stuff. And I did. I was like, I have lots of bad habits. I'm aware of them. <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm actively working to correct them. So that's kind of how I feel about my impatience with you know communication i like it yeah as long as you acknowledge it that's how i've always like i'll admit that i'm a hypocrite hmm? but i'll still be that hypocrite well but that makes it better you know that, that then you that have to some... accept it because i'm honest about it right exactly right? that's how it works right <laughs> yeah that's, hey that's can how i it works. <laughs> be, but, yeah i want to tease that we're working on a project you can do that all right, so we're working on a project. You won't hear about it for like probably over a year if it ever happens, but we're back on a project. I just wanted to say that. Vague booking, vague, vague booking, casting. Yeah. vague cast, vague casting. We're working on stuff. We're cooler than you. If it's if it's successful, you'll hear about it. There have been lots of things you haven't heard of. Oh yeah, we've been on <laughs> lots of projects. Yeah, it's been <laughs> other things. We don't necessarily have to talk about them. Um, yeah, we've got, uh, I think, three more weeks in the lazy summer of podcasting. Yeah, and then we're going to hit you with a ton of books. We are going to hit you. Well, Rob's going to hit you with a ton of books. My books are all digital. It's like one Kindle. I think it weighs like six ounces or something. So I'm going to hit you with that. <laughs> I wow, do know that the, the table of contents has been announced for, for the G.G. Allen collection. Excited about that coming on. Oh, can I just say, yeah. I was listening to Book Spear and Bullshit. Um, oh, yeah, this, yeah. They are celebrating their 38th episode in three years. It's like 10 episodes yeah. a year. Yeah, it's a little more than that, but yes. But it's funny because they actually are like, yeah, hey, fuck that once a week shit. And I go, you know, and me is like, oh, how cute. I know Frank listens. Frank, great episode. <laughs> Seriously, great episode. They tore this book up. Tore a book up. Apocalypse. The, the one-stop apocalypse shop we don't need to review that apparently okay so i'm just giving you giving you some some uh some see they they read even uh crappier books so we don't have to i like that yeah and they drink beer i'm, I'm shocked i'm shocked that you're not over every beer review that they do well they drink they read they drink 
Wow, I don't know how to talk. Well, I thought they talked about shitty beer on purpose. Was it a pumpkin beer? No, it wasn't. But they, yes, they do talk about shitty beer on purpose. But here's the thing. They don't know it's shitty beer till they actually drink it. I mean, yeah, but that's their, I mean, like, I see what you're getting at because you're trying to say that I drink beer all the time. Yes. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. No, my point is I think they pick beers they think are going to be bad. Right. But it sounds to me from, you know, and, and I, I'll be honest, I, I partially tune out because beer means absolutely nothing to me. Um, I, I, I'm on listening, but the, I, I go to a, somewhere else in my head. Um, it sounds to me like none of these beers were like pre-tested. It's not like, oh, I tried this terrible beer and then I bought two more for us to review. It sounds more like picked up this beer. Let's see what we think about it. And inevitably, they're all terrible because they pick beers that sound like they're going to be terrible. Like pizza beer. Yes. Is that a thing? I think they reviewed a pizza beer. See, I tune out a little bit during the pizza beer. All right. Well, there's a disconnect because they fucking, here's what it is. I'm bitter because the one time we were on there, I was like, hey, I was drinking this beer. And they're like, yeah, everybody always talks about the good beer they're drinking. That's not the point. And I was like, fine, I'm going to shut up about beer then, asshole. Do you remember that? No. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I do. I don't think it went down quite like that, but yes, I remember that. He fucking slapped me down, man. I got slapped. Oh uh, well, we'll have to confront him when he's reviewing the um, the G.G. Allen um, anthology. Yeah, if he talks about shitty beer, I'm just gonna cut him out. <laughs> so there's that. What else do we have coming up? Oh man, I know we listed it in a different episode. We got that fucking Chuck Wendig Star Wars book. I think we might be looking at. We got We're that. Probably going to have to do that. We got that Warren Ellis book, normal. Yes, yes, Warren we, Ellis. We got. Let's hope. Let's hope this is not another gun machine. Oh God! I think we can get Tremblay back on to re- review another Warren Ellis book. I don't know, man. Back to the well. Tremblay. Tremblay might be too big for us now. <sighs> he was just on. <laughs> I know, but that was before Stephen King said, yeah. this book really scared me and nothing fucking scares me or whatever it was. That was pretty impressive. Congratulations, Mr. Tremblay, if you're listening. That was fucking awesome shit right there. Um, Well deserved. But I posted about it and then he posted a comment saying thank you. So we're still, it's not like he's, his head's all swollen and stuff. I know, but you know what? Here's, here's I'm projecting. I'm projecting. Because when... I don't know. I don't. I don't even know what. What do you? Who's who's like the Stephen King of podcasting? <laughs> Kevin us. Smith, maybe. Well, yeah. Besides us, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't fucking care about other podcasts. Yeah. Well, okay, all right. When somebody from NPR goes on Twitter and says, "Holy shit, the book podcast, fucking amazing," I'm going to forget about every other podcast we've ever known. You hate every other podcast we've ever known. No. No, I like this is horror. <laughs> And but I not like Dan Hovarth or whatever. No, Dan Hovarth. He's he's probably still in Chicago, just fucking hanging out, doing limey things. <laughs> They're like sitting in a hotel room watching Doctor Who on Netflix. <laughs> Is that limey? Doctor Who? I mean, or I know no. it's like a Brit, like yes, but like yes. fucking BBC. Americans love it. Every, all these fucking every goddamn person at the Lake County Con. Yeah, there were there were a lot of yeah. There was, was a lot of Hoovian. They were Hoovian, but okay. I think the thing with Doctor Who is there's like what I don't know. It's like 150,000 people live in England, so 
like 149,000 of them watch Doctor Who. It's a big fucking deal. Like everybody watches it. Oh, God. 150,000 people live in England. All right, you're just. We need to end this. All right. So um, there will not be a book review next week. I promise there will not be a book review because I'm not reading shit for another couple weeks. I, I might start Worm. You can listen to the last episode if you don't know what that is. I might try Worm just to see how it goes. I did in between recordings. I was closing tabs and I went back to the Goodreads page for Worm. And someone said, I finished this book in 13 days. That motherfucker Jesus needs Christ. some hobbies and maybe a job. Hang on. We got to do some math on that. That's 134,000 words a day. That's like reading 400 pages a day. So I said that person was reading, you know, seven hours a day, six hours a day. I don't even know. I was spending a lot. Let me put it to you this way. You know, sometimes you're a little late getting to the book we're going to review. <laughs> yeah. That person had to read like that, but every single day. For two weeks. For two weeks. That's insanity. Don't do yeah. that. No, I'm not going to do that. I can't, I can't imagine. That. Well, I, I have to give up sleeping because I have hobbies and a job and stuff. Like, yeah. I'd have to give up sleeping to do that. So, Anyways. Either way, we'll be back probably with an interlude. Oh, I'm yeah. Guessing. Definitely going to be an interlude. we got to work a spectacular in. Um, should we do the spooktacular? Maybe. That should be like our... Yeah, but that oh, like, but that's too much away. Yeah, I was like, I don't think we're gonna go that long. Labor um, Day tacular. <laughs> I think I think we need to do um, maybe maybe to close out the lazy summer podcasting. So that gives us a few weeks to put something together. All right, all right. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden, and I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. <laughs>